You're listening to Halford and Bruff. I like it. I'm happy now. It's uh, for me is very important moment and sign to more years contract with the Canucks. Um, they signed Miller. Now they signed Kuzmenko. They're not going to be able to do Horvat, I don't think. And I think he's going to be traded. Two times now they pick players over Bolt. It's over. Ladies and gentlemen, the weekend. <laughs> Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Friday. Sweet, sweet Friday. It is Halford. It is Bruff. It is Sportsnet 650. And we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Technically, it's not Halford and Bruff in the morning, though. Bruff is taking a vacation day. A little three-day weekend for him. So it's just Halford. But rest assured, I am in good hands because the dogs are with me. I will now say good morning to A-Dog Andy Cole. Good morning. And uh, Laddie, Greg Ballack. Good morning to you. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I will also tell you that we are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech. .net. Despite the absence of 50% of the show, we're still going to deliver 100% of the entertainment you know and love from the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. We have a big guest list today. We have a lot to get into. Uh, starting at 6.30, going to have a little footy talk. Sportsnet soccer analyst Peter Galindo in studio. Yeah, that's right. We're going to have an in-studio guest at 6.30 in the morning. That's dedication, folks. Uh, we'll talk about all things going on. As the January transfer window shrinks, any Canadian internationals on the move? We can get updates on Tejon Buchanan and Jonathan David. We'll talk a little FA Cup. It's Man City and Arsenal in the FA Cups uh, to later today. lot to get into with Peter Galindo. That's going to be at 6.30. At 7 o'clock, it's Aaron Portsline from The Athletic in Columbus. Aaron's going to join us to preview tonight's opponent, the Vancouver Canucks. You're home with the Canucks Sportsnet 650. We will be broadcasting tonight's game, 7 o'clock. From Rogers Arena, it is the Canucks and the visiting Blue Jackets. We'll talk to Aaron Portsline at 7 about all things Blue Jackets. 7.30, Kevin Woodley, NHL.com, and Ingle Magazine. Greg Ballack's best friend. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Uh, he's going <laughs> to join us to talk all things Canucks as we'll look on the Canucks side of things going in tonight. Obviously, the big news of the day, Andre Kuzmenko re-signs in Vancouver. We'll get into that and what happened. 8 o'clock, it's the Moj. He promises he's going to show up this week. Moj missed last week. He actually sent me a picture of his alarm clock, so that's him telling me, right. I've set my alarm, I will be professional, and I'll show up on He was time. in the car last week, though. That was his problem. It wasn't that he was sleeping. Yeah, he was not paying attention to his duties. I'll mm-hmm. tell you what his problem is, is he was not on the Halford and Bruff show at 8 o'clock, but he will be today. Uh, we actually need to go back and ask him about Nathan Rourke to the Jags. Still haven't gotten the insider information there from Moj, and we will preview the AFC and NFC Championship games with Moj at 8 o'clock. Uh, it is Ask Us Anything Friday on the show. Hashtag them AUA, and you can ask me and the dogs quite literally anything. Do you need love advice, relationship advice? This might not be the best forum, but yeah. we will we will go for it. Sports, non-sports, foods, non-foods, anything you want to get into, you can ask us anything. The Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Uh, text in, hashtag it AUA. No giveaways today, sadly. We are not giving away any tickets, but you can still be on the radio 
Just send in a good Ask Us Anything. We're also going to do the PlayNow.com Locks of the Week. Uh, there are seven other NHL games tonight to go along with the Canucks and the Blue Jackets. We've got Ottawa and Toronto in the Battle of Ontario. The slumping Calgary Flames are going to take on the Seattle Kraken, who we got to see the other day. So there's lots to get into on the show. Working in reverse on the guest list. 8 o'clock, it's Moj. 7.30, it's Kevin Woodley. 7 o'clock, Aaron Portsline. 6.30, Peter Galindo for some footy talk in studio. Uh, that is what's happening on the program today, ladies and gentlemen. Now, we need to tell you what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. no. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? You missed that? And the biggest news of the day in true Halford and Bruff fashion happened about, I don't know, 45 minutes after we got off air yesterday. The Canucks announced that they had re-signed Andre Kuzmenko to a two-year extension worth $11 million, giving him a $5.5 million average annual cap hit. It does not go without notice that Kuzmenko's new AAV is the exact same as the captain, Bo Horvat's current AAV. Uh, Kuzmenko's deal, which kicks in next season, does include some trade protection, a 12-team no-trade clause. That is according to Sportsnet Elliot Friedman. So there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, I want to start with the third most happy person when this extension was signed. The first was Andre Kuzmenko. The second was his childhood friend, Terpal. And his third was the A-Dog, Andy Cole. Number one Kuzmenko fan, Andy Cole. Celebrate good times, come on. So when you heard the news, first and foremost... How excited were you? Very. I was walking down the street and I went, "Wow!" Were you surprised? Audibly. Uh, n- uh, no, I I ex- expected they were going to sign him. It seemed like that's what they were going to do, and I was, you know, I mean, I I was obviously watching the discourse, reading the discourse on Twitter. I I totally understand why people might not be happy with it in terms of the rebuild scenario. It maybe it doesn't really make sense for the Canucks based on their timeline and their their competitive window, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I get the reasons why the deal may not be the greatest move for the Canucks, but you know me. I love Kuzmenko, so as I, as I tweeted yesterday, I, I'm still happy because he's probably my favorite player on the team. Laddie? I was a little surprised. I didn't think the Canucks would uh, would exactly get it done this quickly, and I didn't think it was on the horizon this quickly, but uh, I think it's positive for the, the now. I don't, I don't know about the uh, the timeline of, of him being uh, at his peak and the Canucks being at their peak. I don't know if it lines up the way you want it to in time wise yeah mean, in yeah. terms of the time but uh, he's he's a great player and and that's a pretty uh, a deal that you can handle i think most teams can handle five and a half million for two years i think it's uh i think it's fine i think it's a an exciting player that gets the fans going so nothing wrong with that yeah i i'm of two minds and i think a lot of people were with the deal that at 5.5 million on a deal that doesn't have a ton of term to get a guy that's basically a point-of-game player and a 30-goal score, it's great value. No one can complain about that. The, I saw a tweet going around, which I think maybe summed it up the best, that it's a great deal for the wrong team. And I do think, yeah. and I have plenty of time for those that are willing to push back against the idea that it's a great deal with the, it's a great deal, but. And I think that's the narrative that a lot of naysayers have taken on this. I have time for the fact that when you have a really good player who actually wants to be a part of what you're trying to build, and he is a productive member, not just of society, but of the National Hockey League, you keep him around. Kuzmenko, 21 goals and 23 assists through 47 games. 43 in 47 in his first campaign has shown little to no growing pains whatsoever. 
There was that brief moment where he was a healthy scratch but has returned and continues to find the back of the net, oftentimes by being camped out in front of it, which I think is a big thing. I do think that his style of game, if he can continue to produce from five feet and out or right on top of the blue paint, will endear him to Rick Tockett, so that's there. But really, again, this is a this is a two-conversation argument. Is You can talk about Kuzmenko and what it means for him and how this is great and it's deserving and it's a fair deal for both sides, maybe even more fair for Vancouver. But the other part of the conversation is, does it line up with anything that the Canucks are going to do over the next two years? Are they going to be competitive when you've got Kuzmenko on this pretty decent ticket? And I'm not so sure. I want to dive into some audio here. Um, I actually want to play some of the audio from yesterday's Canucks talk when the agent Dan Milstein came on with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Because Milstein, without revealing too much about what went on in negotiations, as it pertained to his clients. So what did they sell your client on other than, here's $11 million to play a sport? What was the vision? What was the idea? Now, Milstein didn't exactly lay it out in full, but he kind of hinted at it. So we'll play that audio, and then on the other side, we'll come back, and we'll talk about how this deal came to fruition and why they opted to go shorter term, maybe some riches in the future. But first, uh, very loosely here from Dan Milstein, the plan as presented by Patrick Alvin and company to his client, Andre Kuzmenko. In all honesty, um, Andre could have signed virtually with any club. We've had uh, over the last uh, seven years or so, we've spoken to virtually all the clubs. We took the list down to about six or seven teams, and he made final visits. He really enjoyed um, the city. He saw, the obviously, the arena in the summer when it was all uh, uh, torn apart. Uh, he uh, had a great visit uh, with uh, Patrick Alvin, with Emily, uh, with Jim, uh, obviously with a former coach. Uh, and uh, he just felt very welcomed and at home. And uh, I know you guys are trash talking the Vancouver Canucks and management and all that. But, I mean, look, the, the senior management, including now some of the guys on the coaching staff, have won two Stanley Cups with Pittsburgh Penguins uh, in, uh, you know, only, what, five, seven years ago. So you guys should be excited. There is good stuff uh, that uh, will be happening, and uh, you got to be patient. I mean, those championship teams, you got to go through a lot of uh, troubles in order to win the Stanley Cup. So in part, Kuzmenko and Milstein, to a certain degree, were obviously sold on the notion that <clears throat> this is a management group that's done it before. There's proof in the pudding from their time in Pittsburgh. They have a plan. They know how to execute. And this is part of the execution, the positive execution, not the negative execution. Um, This is going to be a team that will still, I assume, undergo that major surgery that Jim Rutherford was talking about not a long time ago when he had the press conference that started out explaining Tanner Pearson's medical condition and then veered off into the state of a franchise. The understanding is that Kuzmenko was, and as far as I understand it, Kuzmenko was never going to be a part of this major surgery. That when they were going to systematically cut out pieces of the active roster, Kuzmenko was never going to piece, be a piece that was chopped out and thrown on the surgery room floor. He's a guy that's a part of the next two-year window and a guy that I think that they are enamored with to the point where they'll start exploring something beyond this. What does it look like beyond this? Well, for Kuzmenko, a lot more money and a lot more term. Milstein talked about that as well, saying that his client is okay 
I don't want to say betting on yourself because he's making $11 million, but not going after the most money and the most term. And it was an interesting answer that Milstein gave yesterday as to why they didn't chase all the riches and all the term right now. Uh, here's what it sounded like on Canucks Talk yesterday. Guys, it really depends. Look, look, I've done long-term deals for Mikhail Sergachev. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was an eight-year deal. Uh, Nikita Kucherov, that was an eight-year deal. Andrei Vasilevsky was an eight-year deal. For Ilya Mikheyev, on the other hand, the strategy was to do a four-year deal uh, instead of five-year deal. The reason behind that deal was that uh, uh, it would expire at the age of 31 and he'll have an opportunity to sign yet another multi-year deal uh, at the time. And uh, uh, look, my, my, here's my strategy. It's got to make the contracts got to make sense for both sides. This isn't a one-way street. It should never be a one-way street because, look, I see some of the crazy contracts and the guys are becoming the victims of their own deals. So, um, and then also with proper financial planning put in place, they'll never spend the, the, some of those, you know, 50 to a hundred million dollar contracts, guys would never spend those money ever in their lifetime. And if you play your cards, right, if you play your cards, right, you'll never, the, the, the funds would go, would be passed down to a hundred generations after you go. And so, um, it, the deal is going to make sense for both sides. Look, I don't want to be the, known as that agent who, who basically wins every single time. If it's about, you know, of course, signing a big contract, uh, pounding your chest and saying, look, look at me, like, look at the deal I got from my client, and things don't go well, and then your client becomes, become, becomes a scapegoat for every single issue that the franchise has. I don't want that for my guys because mm. it's difficult. We obviously try to win and try to be extremely reasonable and go for the biggest uh, contract possible, but with that said, we always understand that there is a salary cap. There are other guys on the, on the team. Look, when Nikita Kucherov won his uh, first Stanley Cup, people were saying, well, he's earn, earn, only earning $9.5 million. He could have been $11 million. You know, from Edmonton, one of the first phone calls or, uh, that Nikita made was to me. And it was a thank you for the contract because, because doing $9.5 million deal, I have left some money on a table for Tampa Bay to, to sign a third line. Uh, the, 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 basically, some of those guys were the difference makers mm. between the prior years and struggles that Tampa Bay had. And so I'd rather get that call than get a call from a general manager saying, hey, we're going to buy out the client. So that's a very interesting answer, lengthy and interesting, that Milstein gave because the underlying sentiment is um, this isn't about knocking the negotiations and the contract out of the park. It's maybe about finding the fit within the team. I think a lot of people will say, Getting a player who, again, he's only halfway through his first NHL campaign, but has shown extremely well. This is a guy that would probably garner more than five and a half million on the open market, or at the very least, you'd lower the AAV by signing him to a much longer term deal than two years. Now, the pushback from people will be it's a great deal and all, and it might be for the wrong team. And if it is for the wrong team, why was there not a trade explored? Why would this not be pushed further? towards the beginning of March, keep the contract in a drawer and try and see if you could either negotiate a really good deal for Kuzmenko now via trade or see if something happens over the next month. A team loses a top six forward, team loses a goal scorer and they've got Stanley Cup or playoff aspirations. All of a sudden, the idea of adding a guy like Kuzmenko becomes more enticing and maybe the price gets driven up. Jason Bukala, who writes for sportsnet.ca, uh, wrote this out in great detail in a piece that's up at sportsnet.ca right now, kind of having that internal debate about the re-sign or the trade. 
And he surmised that he figured that the Canucks would have been able to get a first-round pick out of Kuzmenko going closer and closer towards the deadline. He said, if you look at it, if you're a team, and this is just a real quick logic on it, just paraphrasing, but if you're a team that is in the playoff chase, you're going to be picking in the low to high 20s at this upcoming draft. So you go to your early draft board, you look at the player or players that would be available, try and find an equal value representation, then look at that player and say, do they have more scoring upside than Kinsvenko? Would they be a better projected player at the NHL level in the future than Kuzmenko is now? The answer is no. You make the deal, boom. So that's some that's the logic behind the trade. But it almost feels pointless to talk about it in, in those terms because the trade ain't happening. Kuzmenko's not going anywhere, not at this deadline. And that means we circle back to what is major surgery going to look like for this team? What is the major surgery that the president of Hockey Ops, Jim Rutherford, who discussed it openly, what is it going to look like? What comes next? Well, Elliot Friedman took a stab at it yesterday on Tim and Friends. Uh, Very interesting, not just the volume of names, but the particular names themselves. It begins with Bo Horvat, and there's a few other ones. But what major surgery must look like now that Andre Kuzmenko isn't going to be chopped out of the equation? Here's Friedman from uh, Tim and Friends yesterday. If there was any question about whether or not they'd be able to sign him, we have the answer. Um, they signed Miller. Now they signed Kuzmenko. They're not going to be able to do Horvat, I don't think. And I think he's going to be traded. Uh, I think there's other players on that team that are going to be dealt to. I, I think Besser is going to be dealt. Um, I think at some point in time, I think Myers will be dealt, whether it's this year or after his bonus is due in the summer. Uh, I, I think they are going to try to move some other players out. We'll see what this all means. But, you know, I, I know I heard some people saying, well, they hope that if they keep Kuzmenko, that'll make Pedersen more likely to sign. I, I'm not sure I, I would say that. I, I don't know if it's quite that deep. Mm. But I, I, I do think they do speak to Pedersen quite a bit about what he thinks and what his feelings are. I, I just feel that they, they want to keep a nucleus. They've committed to Miller. They're going to make Pedersen their guy. I think they wanted to have another forward, Kuzmenko, around them so they could score. Um, and I think, But I think you're going to see a bunch of other guys moved. Horvat, Besser, um, Myers, and, and maybe Demko. I never thought I would say that, but I think we're getting to that possibility mm-hmm. too. I do think they're going to put a ton of players out there if they haven't already. Demko. Yeah. Wow. I noticed that. Get out of here. Yeah, okay, but if that is, say they do actually move Demko, what does that mean in net for them? Like, who's their, who becomes their guy? I mean, it can't, can't be the guys they have right now. I don't know. I think that entire quote from Friedge was more about understanding the major surgery line and acknowledging that it's still to come, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, look, one of the biggest pushbacks that I saw yesterday was after a 6-1 throttling, in which the head coach called the team soft. The Canucks came out a day later and were like, we're locking in some of this core. Boys, we're going to keep some of this softness around. Now, it's not fair to Kuzmenko, but the reality is, is people were probably clamoring for change more than ever after getting stomped in Seattle. And the first sort of knee-jerk reaction was to keep someone else in. People are wondering when pieces are going to be moved, when this team is going to start to look fundamentally different, when they're going to address the issues on the blue line. And I guess... When you're talking about major surgery, you have to be major. It has to be major pieces. And if Demko is at all 
involved in this. And quite frankly, I, I can't see it. It seems strange. I mean, unless they have some secret maneuver we're not looking at as far as goaltending goes. Well, one. They have Ian Clark. Yeah, they have Ian Clark. They've, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of National Hockey League teams that have unearthed goalies, either from Europe or guys that were undrafted, or you find one in the carousel every summer. And if you're under, if you want to be a team that isn't reliant on world class goaltending to have you in the fringes of the playoffs, maybe the the idea is to tighten up and play a responsible style of hockey, so that the goalie maybe can be an interchangeable piece. That's one theory I came up with. I don't know how much credence there is. There's to an it. AHL guy that I've had my eyes set on, Alfred. I don't know if you know what name I'm thinking of. Archer Seelovs? No, there's a, <laughs> a guy not playing in the Canucks system right now. That would be a good Stop talking about story. Corey Schneider. You Corey always Schneider, do this. He does it every show. Vancouver. Oh, my God. For the timeline, it works. Why would you not? He's got a 927 in the AHL. Right, but they want to play in the national, the NHL. <laughs> that's that's kind of the key I'm here. I'm of the feel-good stories. If you need somebody in net, you're, you're tired of Delia, you're tired of Martin. Why not Corey Schneider? You do you do you do it for the vibes? Yes, basically okay. solely for the vibes. I understand. Okay, uh, I do want to get to the future of Bo Horvat now that Kuzmenko is signed because uh, several sharp people on the tweeters they did note that Kuzmenko's AAV on this two-year, eleven million dollar deal is five point five million. That is also the same number, Andy, as who currently on the Canucks five point five million AAV. I don't know. God, I already said it once this show. Yeah, I don't listen, though. The captain, Bo Horvat. Oh, Horvat. I was right. whispering it to him, but he didn't hear me. Yeah, so the takeaway here, that spells the end of Bo Horvat. A lot of people have astutely pointed out that if you just want to make this about priorities and who got chosen over whom, JT Miller got his money. Andre Kuzmenko got his money. Now, they're both UFAs. Brock Besser got his money, a little bit different because he's an RFA. But all got put ahead in the pecking order all got their bag of cash before Horvat and ever Horvat because it certainly doesn't sound like he's going to be getting anything from the Vancouver Canucks other than a trade out of town. My my dad, no one sees this ending any other way than Horvat going oh, into the I would be right? shocked if they locked up Horvat at this point. I mean, it would be insane. I wouldn't be able to. Well, yeah, all that. the focus now is on what what can you get for him, right? right? Like well, what's what's the return package going to be? And the focus now is on a bit of the minutia as to how little contact and conversation there is between the Horvat camp and the Canucks yesterday on Donnie and Dolly Rick Dollywall Vancouver scoops extraordinaire uh, talked about this coming from Pat Morris and the agency side of things and where it's at with regards to negotiations with the Vancouver Canucks short answer there are none longer answer we'll play it now here's Rick Dollywall yesterday on the state of negotiations with the Horvat camp and the Canucks Bo uh, Horvat's agent, uh, Pat Morris, has spent the last two days in Vancouver. The Canucks uh, refused to meet with him, so um, it was a perfect time to meet Donnie. It's very telling, and now we know about Kuzmenko. It's very telling to me why they didn't meet with Pat. They didn't meet with him in Toronto. It's trending the same way as it did with Markstrom and Tanev. They never made a, a significant offer to Markstrom. Never made an offer to Tanev, and now you can say goodbye to Bo But Horvath. this is a new group, though. Yeah. That was the betting group. But, yeah, yeah, I get it, but it's trending the same way. Morris still has not been, as of this morning, Pat Morris still has not been given permission to talk to teams about a contract extension for Bo. Uh, the Canucks also never gave JT's agent permission. Uh, so uh, no permission to talk to teams for Pat. They did not meet him in the last two days. So there you go, folks. Uh, it's uh, they picked uh, they picked uh, Kuzmenko. I said it yesterday. 
they pick uh, two two times now. They pick players over Bolt. It's over. Uh, that of course was Rick Dollywall from Donnie and Dolly on Czech TV, and I do wonder as we circle back to the major surgery narrative, how much of this is going to be accomplished at the deadline, and how many of this is how much of this is going to be something that plays out trade deadline, off season, draft, free agency, where they're just continually well, best, moving out players. Besser right? Horvat at the deadline, I would. We'll see about Besser, but theoretically, Besser and Horvat at the deadline. Then it sounds like Meyer is probably more likely in the off season. So at, the, the, big, the, the biggest the issue they're going to have, with, the biggest issue they're going to have with trying to do a Besser trade in season, is the money. Is it's going to be extremely difficult? Who's going to free up space for for what Besser's contributing right now? Well, the Canucks might have to be the team, right? If they retain fifty yeah, percent or salary, whatever. Yeah. Now the Canucks could look at this and say, "Well, wait a minute." Why don't we wait till the off season where yep. we don't have to retain, as opposed to, you know, carrying fifty percent of the freight just to make this deal at the deadline? Now, the thing that's working in the Canucks' favor is that there's still a month of games left before the deadline, and we're talking about injuries happening at a routine pace, right? Carolina's season fundamentally got altered when Patrick came back; looked like he was going to be a contributing top six goal scoring forward, and now is done again, right? So, someone that they thought that was going to be their own rental is gone, and now they've got to look at something else. Can you craft a nice enough narrative with Besser that there's going to be a bounce back or redemption? I'm not sure. I think it might be easier with Connor Garland at a lower ticket. And I that think might... with, his, with his age, though, there's got to be a GM out there that's like, you know, we can we can work on him. We've got the technology. Yeah, I don't, the $6 million man thing. I don't, yeah. Well, he's literally a $6 million man, six yeah. point whatever. But I, I, I will, it's, it's hard in season. Yes. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's easier in the off season when you can float above the cap. It's a really hard deal to do in season. We have a texter suggesting here that uh, they're going to let Horvat go, like Tanev and Edler. I, there's no chance. If that happens, then you might as well just get rid of this management group as well because you need to get something, some sort of package back for Horvat. Look, one thing that this management group said in the, the early stages, the early throws of being in power, they don't let UFA walk. UFAs walk, right? And they showed it with it, Tyler Mott was a small sample size, but it was a good example of, hmm, this market isn't as robust as we thought it was going to be. We're not getting a ton in return, but we don't let assets walk for nothing. And that was one of the things that I think they held steadfast in. Now, in the same breath, this management group has also promised other things that haven't come to fruition, but like whatever changes yes right like, like major surgery where everyone's sitting there and waiting like, my surgery keeps getting delayed and it kind of feels like you guys might just want to rehab the injury rather than get the surgery but i digress okay we are up against it for time uh peter galindo from sportsnet soccer analyst is going to join us in studio for some footy talk that's also a warning to all of you that didn't want you knew i was going to do this when bruff didn't show up for work today i was like sweet we are talking Arsenal and City. I love it. The dogs were really excited to have some footy talk as well, right? Yes. Well, yes. I know if I had a show, I'd probably do two hours of goalie talk. That's so it. I, I don't blame you. Yeah. The key to getting your own show is running it into the ground repeatedly. And I would that's just what I did. the do. show and talk about video games. That's all I do. See? Everyone's yeah. got a little bit of selfishness yeah. in them. Uh, Peter Galindo in studio next. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show with Jess Halford on Sportsnet 650. Six thirty-four on a Friday. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Only there's no Bruff, but there's somebody here. 
If you're watching on Sportsnet now, you can see that we are now a two-host show again. It feels much more comfortable. Peter Galindo's here in studio. We're going to do a little footy talk in just a second here. Jason's got the day off. Uh, Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. I mentioned, I think this is the first time in show history that we have a 6.30 a.m. in-studio guest. It's Peter Galindo, everybody, from Sportsnet. Hi, Peter. Hello. And that fact doesn't surprise me at all because it is early. Yeah, it's still dark outside. There are no cars on the road. Nothing is open. Pretty pretty standard. <laughs> to be fair, though, I mean, it's it's also quite dark even at 3 p.m. in it's Vancouver. True. So If you're doing a p.m. drive show, it also gets dark. Okay. Uh, we wanted to bring Peter in studio for a footy update. Now, in particular... We're about a month and a half removed from the World Cup. And it's funny because I think a lot of people got introduced to this Canadian team for the first time at the World Cup. And a lot of the players, it's not unlike the Olympics. When there's an athlete from a sport that you don't follow, wins a gold medal, and suddenly you're enamored with them and they become uh, sort of national news. And it's like, oh yeah, now I need to follow this Bob Sledder outside of the Olympics. So this is kind of where we're at with a lot of these players. I think it's an interesting wrinkle for this Canadian team because so many of these guys uh, have parlayed and used that World Cup performance as a platform to do some great things. We'll get to the guys that have already landed in Europe elsewhere, but I do want to start with, it's January, right? Transfer windows open, rumblings all over the place. Jonathan David, a little striker, Canadian national team striker, who it feels like he's been in transfer talks for the better parts of a decade now. It just feels like it's constant and the move has not come. Uh, I know that there's a bunch now that we're getting closer and closer to the end of this January window, which ends on the 31st. There's rumors that Aston Villa could bring him over to the Premier League. Peter, what do you know? What can you tell the listeners about Jonathan David's future and where it might be? So for now, he's not going to leave in January, which I'm not surprised by. Lille, they, they basically have a gentleman's agreement with him from the sound of it that, hey, if you stick around until the summer, then we'll sell you in the summer to basically whoever you want to go to. So that's going to be the plan. And it looks like it's going to be England just because... Not so much of the fee that's involved, which is rumored to be around, I think it's 50 million euros, possibly 60, depends what they can, what they can fetch and I guess if they can spark a bidding war. Right. But it's more so to do with the wages and the fact that David himself seems very keen on going there mm-hmm. as well. Um, I mean, he sees himself in England. We know that Manchester United needs a number nine. Yeah. Probably they could... I'm not saying Arsenal needs a number nine, but they're still kind of in the market for one because they could double up and go Jesus and let's say David yep. or, you know, whatever the case. Um, so just given that and the fact that the other major European clubs outside of England probably don't need a number nine, that would indicate that would be his future. Uh, another guy that starred for Canada at the World Cup was Tejan Buchanan, obviously had the assist on the terrific cross on the only goal that they scored, or sorry, the first goal that they scored in the tournament. Uh, he's playing in the Belgian League, which is where Jonathan David used to play. And everyone kind of sees that as a move-on league or a sell-on league where you kind of get, get your footing in Europe and you can you show that you play or can't play, and then you go somewhere else. So Buchanan now, and I've seen this over the last couple months, it seems as though there's a lot of different Serie A teams interested in the services, which would be fantastic for him going to a league of that pedigree. Um, when would this happen if it would happen? And would, do you think Serie A be the eventual landing spot for him? Or given the bidding wars that are going on, could it be somewhere else? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I, I do think Italy might be where he does end up landing, just based on the fact that Napoli, Juventus, and Inter are linked to him, specifically Inter, it seems. But yeah. the the really troublesome part, and I'm sure we'll get into this in a bit, um, is that Inter's owners, Suning, their Chinese owners, 
they are in massive debt now just due to the pandemic. And as a result, they are strapped for cash. Inter, despite posting, I think it was 20% growth in revenues from last season, they posted, I think it was close to 200 million euros in losses. That's a lot. It it is quite a bit. Yeah, you probably don't (laughs) want to do that. So as a result, they're going to have to sell their some of their best players because they're the most valuable, right? Mm-hmm. So Denzel Dumfries, if he goes out, that means Tejon Buchanan comes in, right. plays at right wing back. They're looking to sell Milan Skriniar for a cut rate price. They're top tier center back to PSG. Um, like, think about it this way. Let's say, and I'm sure some people are hoping this happens, Francesco Aquilini goes bust, okay. right? And he's like, well, okay, we've got, we, we've got to recoup some cash somehow. Like I'm saying like, let, let's say the NHL is under like a European soccer type sure. thing and their most valuable assets for the Canucks would be probably who? Quinn Hughes, probably Elias, Elias Patterson, Patterson, right? Yep. Yep. So then they could fetch the most assets sure. from those guys. So then they just have, they're forced to sell them. It's right. an unfortunate reality of what happens when you're in that kind of debt. So Tejon Buchanan could benefit in that way because yeah, it'd right. still be relatively cheap to replace because Dumfries would go for quite a bit of money. Right. Okay. Uh, Kyle Laren, Canada's all-time leading scorer. Is already on the move. He's now at Real Valladolid in La Liga in Spain. Now, this is interesting to me because he went to Club Bruges and parts so he could play with Tejan Buchanan. It didn't really work out. He didn't get a ton of time. Of all the guys that kind of needed a kickstart for their career, I feel like he's probably the one. The other guys seem like they're on the rise in David and Buchanan, mm-hmm. whereas Laren, more established, older veteran player, will still be counted upon for this Canadian men's national team in the coming years, but... Uh, he's at a different stage of his career. How do you think this plays out for him in Spain? I honestly don't know because the problem with going to a club like Real Valladolid is, yes, he's going to probably start a lot. He's going to fit tactically into what they do because they tend to play a 4-3-3. He'd slide in as a number nine. If needed, he could also fulfill his Besiktas role and go to the left wing and just kind of act as like an inside forward type. But they are in a relegation battle. And you know what happens to clubs when they're desperate, right? Because right? if a striker all of a sudden just can't produce the goods, they're on the bench, they try to find other options. So that's the one concern I'd have if I'm Kyle Laren in that regard. But they seem to be very keen on giving him the opportunities sure. because he's proven he can score in really high-pressure situations. Playing for Besiktas every week yeah. comes with its yep, challenges yep. in that way. So, I mean, I'm, I'm relatively optimistic that he'll be able to to find his feet again because, I mean, you know, Mike, you saw it for Canada. Even when he came into camps out of form, he'd still find a way to get goals, right? Right. Yeah. So That was the big thing with him is that he was a goal scorer through and through. Mm-hmm. Everyone was concerned about his form going into the World Cup. It wasn't a terrific World Cup, but it wasn't a terrific World Cup for a lot of Canadians. That said... Um, the aftermath, I think a lot of people anticipated that if the team didn't necessarily do that well in the group and didn't show all that well on the pitch, individuals were going to be able to use this as a platform. And now all of a sudden we're looking at this and saying, you've got Jonathan David being linked with some of the biggest clubs in the world, some of the biggest premiership clubs, uh, Tejan Buchanan potentially going to a big high profile Serie A club, uh, Alistair Johnston's playing at Celtic in Scotland. It's not that upper tier in that upper crust, but it's still a storied, famous club. And it's a lot of pressure that comes with it playing in Scotland. And you've got Ismail Kone playing with Watford in the championship. Post-World Cup, where would you rate where that Canadian program is just in terms of players that are now 
in that next phase of their careers, have accentuated what they've done at the World Cup and are now in those environments where every match matters, every day matters. There's a lot of pressure. They're going to get better. You know, iron sharpens iron, that sort of thing. See, and that's the big thing, is that they are going to be used to that pressure every single week. Yep. Because, okay, sure, Alistair Johnson's at Celtic. You compare a Celtic to you know, a Manchester United in terms of, you know, maybe just player quality. And yes, there is a big discrepancy, but Celtic, make no mistake about it. That is a massive, massive club with huge expectations, mm -hmm. you know, because you're under the microscope there. So if you are shining week in, week out, playing in the Champions League, which to John Herbman, that still counts as a tier one environment, mm -hmm. as would Porto for Stefan Estacchio, right. as would Club Bruges for Tejon Buchanan, um, then that's massive. And I remember asking Herbman after the Morocco game, um, you know, how important is it to get more players into those tier one environments? And he basically just, you know, big sigh and was like, yeah, that's, that's really the big question we have to ask in this country. How do we do that? And then right after Alistair Johnston mm -hmm. right. goes, goes to Celtic, Celtic. Yeah, yeah. Ismail Kone goes to Watford, who are favorites to get promoted possibly to the Premier League. And even if they don't go, the owners also own Udinese in Syria. Right. So he could actually go there and play in a top tier league himself yeah. so and they're shining right now too both of those guys and and the fact that they are it kind of speaks to what herman likes to call this new canada quote unquote yeah in that these players 24 and under they have this you know quiet confidence about them and when they get on the pitch they're fearless and and really nothing phases them which is crazy if you've watched canadian yeah. men's soccer at yep. least for any period of time and, and seeing that confidence um, okay, let's switch gears ever so slightly here. Uh, MLS, Vancouver Whitecaps, they're now back at UBC after a, an extended week training camp in Spain, which Vanny Sartini spoke about yesterday with the media, said that it went about as well as they could have expected. They got to play some European clubs that were already in sort of mid-season form, so it gave them a really good test. Their season starts shortly. This is going to be a really fundamental year for the Whitecaps, for the league in general, because uh, now all the rights have changed over to Apple TV. And the, the way that this league is going to look is going to be fundamentally different. Are the Whitecaps going to be fundamentally different? Because there hasn't been a ton of change in the roster. There's a lot of guys going out mm. and bidding farewell to, including Lucas Cavallini. Not a ton of ins. It kind of looks like a parsed down roster from last year with one or two tweaks. What's the outlook for the Whitecaps? I, I believe if they can add another center back, which they desperately, desperately need, because Matias Laborda is the only right. incoming transfer really of note that they've had, and they can solve the goalkeeping situation. And Thomas Hassall, too, his credit in preseason has looked decent still. Okay. But the fact that they're still linked to other goalkeepers... I think indicates that constantly linked to yes. other goalkeepers. Like, 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 does that scream confidence in your, in I know, your number one goalkeeper? I, I, you know I know. I, mean? I have wondered about that. It's like every couple of days, there's another report that the Whitecaps are kicking the tires on. It's either a veteran European goalie yeah. or a Japanese goalie. Yeah, I yeah, saw that report right. as well. Yeah. So it does make me wonder. I know Vanny spoke with the media yesterday and he said, you know, if, if additions happen or if changes happen, so be it. But mm. I'm going into training camp, the second phase of it with this club. I do wonder what that does, and, and a young goalie as well, and maybe one that hasn't necessarily dealt with constantly having to look over his shoulders to who's coming in the door. Yeah. Anyway, I'll let you continue. No, no, and that's it. And last year when Crepo got traded, the aim of the Whitecaps was to have Hassal be the number one, but then immediately sign a 
not so much a top caliber goalkeeper, but an experienced MLS goalkeeper to kind of push him a little bit. Right. And they were looking at Stefan Cleveland in Seattle, who is right. a, a pretty solid, you know, kind of rotational number one goalkeeper. So the fact they couldn't get him, I think, kind of hurt that plan a little bit and probably hurt Hassal, to be fair. I know he got hurt and whatnot, but if they can solve the goalkeeping situation, they, like Whitecaps goalkeepers last season, they had the lowest post-shot expected goals plus minus in the league. So they saved almost 11 goals below expected last season. Okay, yeah. So if they can get even just league average goalkeeping, that's an 11-goal swing. And especially how tight the Western Conference was last year and probably how tight it'll be this year, um, an 11-goal swing could be the difference between them making the playoffs and probably getting, say, a home playoff date. Because I do think that... In terms of the roster, in terms of the starting 11, the fact that they're going with dual eights this year in Schopf and Gressel with Kubas in the heart of the midfield, yep. I think that's really the way to go because that offers you maximum protection. The amount of times the Whitecaps played with a double pivot and there was just so much space to exploit on the counter. You mm-hmm. saw your season ticket holder, right? I, so, I saw plenty. Yes. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, th- those tweaks, and then if they can sign a number nine, I, I saw that a... Um, uh, a bid for Ty Baribo, the Wolfsburger striker that they were linked to and scored against the Whitecaps in that friendly. Right. Um, an initial bid got rejected. Okay. I'm sure they're going to keep pushing for him. Um, if they can get a caliber of striker like him, you get another center back, particularly a left footer and another goalkeeper, or if Hassal can just somehow, you know, have a remarkable rise this season. Mm-hmm. I honestly think the Whitecaps could finish top three in the West. Like, I'm, I'm that confident in them, so long as they don't run into injuries. Yeah, because the last two years, it's been fringes of the playoffs. The first year with the Vanny Sartini push, where they eked their way in, and then last year where they made the push and then eventually fell short on decision day. And I do wonder where the expectations for the club are, because Vanny's mentioned on a number of occasions now that it isn't about the off-season transfers in and off-season acquisitions. It's about the guys that came aboard late last season or midway through. Like, he still considers Kubas a new player to the team. I'd push back on that a little bit because he did get a lot of reps last year. He did. Uh, Schopf was another one as well where he said, look, at the point where he joined us in the season, it was unrealistic to think that he was going to be a plug-and-play player. That's more for this season. How is that league going to look this season. This to me is fascinating because the rights have now moved almost exclusively. There's going to still be some regional broadcasts, but um, it's not going to be as regional anymore with the coverage. Everything is coming out of a central sort of studio and it's an Apple TV. I mean, it's a project. No, no league has really undergone this radical shift in how their content is being distributed. Uh, You're going to need a subscription if you want to follow the MLS team if you're liking this, without question. But it's also going to... I don't know what it's going to do to local coverage. I don't know what it's going to mean for local rights holders. But there's going to be less emphasis there and more emphasis on this coming out of a centralized base. And this is across the league. And this is the league that is still growing, is still finding its foothold in North America. How do you see this playing out, big picture, MLS, and then maybe more micro with the with the Whitecaps and how they're going to be viewed in this market? Because quite frankly, their games aren't going to be as televised as they were previously. It's not going to be this free yeah. thing that's on every Sunday or Saturday. Yeah, exactly. And you know, maybe looking big picture at it first, deals like this, I think, are going to become more common maybe not in the Premier League where they just have so much money into yeah. it that they can afford to sell individual TV packages in different countries. But I saw this morning 
that there's a report that JP Morgan is going to pay a billion euros for essentially the the negotiating rights over Syria's TV rights. Oh, wow. Okay. So they're going to almost be like a marketing arm yeah. of Syria in that way. And then you have CBC in La Liga doing the same thing. I think they have 49% of the sponsorship and marketing rights in La Liga. So they kind of have a bit of a say in terms of where TV goes on that side. Right. So I think so this might seeing, be a blueprint for other exactly. footballing like associations moving exactly. forward. Okay, okay. Yeah, so I, I think they're they're because they tend to always kind of look stateside first because they're almost like the guinea pig yeah, in a lot of yeah, ways. They're yeah. like, oh, let those crazy Americans <laughs> and Canadians, you know, do that first, and we'll see if it works, right? So I think if it does pay off, you're going to start to see these single entity TV deals really across the world, mm-hmm. and then specifically for the Whitecaps. Look, it's also going to first of all it the injection of TV money is going to help. Yeah. I think all of these clubs in a lot of ways, but then also it's maybe going to give them a bit of an impetus to maybe not so much, you know, spend, but just spend smartly these days to, to become more marketable and right. to the credit of Nikos Overhul, the kind of, you know, recruitment analysts that they brought in from Statsbomb mm-hmm. and Axel Schuster, a lot of their signings since he came in have actually hit. Yep. Right? I, like, I would like, agree. Like I would when, agree. when you do think about it. So they, they are kind of going in that direction, but it is going to put a lot more pressure, especially on those Canadian teams, maybe outside of Toronto. Cause they have the stars. Yeah. Um, to to maybe be a little more mindful of that, but maybe not so much taking away from their original strategy because the Philadelphia Union don't have stars and they still had a lot of TV games. Like right. winning does tend to attract a lot of viewers, even even the casual. I think that's teams. a big thing, right? Is we need to get out of the archaic notion that MLS is the retirement league for European stars, and that's how you draw. Right, you bring exactly. in Pirlo and you trot him around all the different places yeah. and all the local Italian community centers. Everyone comes out. <laughs> it's it's a bit of an antiquated notion because I think it's been proven that it's just a short term injection or punch in the arm, and it doesn't really have anything long term. On the subject of transfers, we're almost up against it for time, but I did want to get to the big picture talk here. Is that um, I think everyone that even if you know nothing about the sport, what you can relate to is the sheer volume of money. And that the finances and the economics of this are eye-popping for everyone, even people that don't pay attention to football whatsoever. This transfer market has been crazy. In England alone, it's 10 times the spending of the next league. So what I mean here, dear listeners, is that the amount of money that Premier League teams have spent is in the 300 million euro range. The next closest league is the Bundesliga, which is in the 30 million. So we are talking about 10 million, or sorry, 10 times the amount of money. And it's, it's gobs of money. Mm. And it's, it's incessant and it's daily. And what you're getting now is it's not just the Uniteds and the Cities and Arsenal. It's lower tier, conceivably, quote unquote, smaller market Premier League teams outbidding some of the giants of European football. Like when Bournemouth is getting in a bidding war with AC Milan, you're kind of, <laughs> your eyes blow out you're like, what is going on here? What is going on here? Is this just the financial behemoth that is England against these other countries that can't keep pace? Or are the economics of these other leagues hamstrung them, whereas it's not hamstringing them in England? I think it's a combination of everything. I mean, look back at what I said about Sooning and, and Inter and that they're in massive, massive debt, so they have to sell. And, and a lot of clubs are in that situation now. And then you have 
a lot of these owners, specifically American, taking over these Premier League That's, clubs. The, the American thing is a big thing to mention because this is another American yeah, influence you're talking about. Exactly. Is they're not even looking stateside? No, I mean they're looking stateside for buyers, but these guys come in and it's an immediate injection of mm. cash, and that's yeah. a big thing to discuss here. Yeah, and you know what I find funny too, specifically looking at Chelsea, because they're the ones who you kind of look at and say like, wow, like they're sending all this money. How could they possibly afford this? Um, and and what's crazy is they've already started to manipulate the rules by giving these long-term deals right. <laughs> right. to players like, like, you know, um, Mudrik, who they just signed, signed what eight and a half, nine years. I think yeah. that was his contract. And the reason for that is transfer fees are amortized over the length of a contract, which right. means the longer the deal is, the cheaper it is year on year. And so therefore kick the fine down the road. Yes. Yeah. And then that allows you to flout FFP financial yeah. fair play rules, essentially like the salary cap. If you're looking at it from a, you know, I guess North American point sure. of view. And even if you go over that threshold, the fine is minor and the upfront payment is so small that it could just be seen as a, a price of doing business and fielding a competitive squad. So, I mean, really I, I could honestly see like the Chelsea situation is going to be fascinating to see what happens over the next couple of years, just to see how much they challenge UEFA specifically, because yeah. they probably don't like this. Uh, we are so thoroughly deep in the footy talk that we didn't even get a chance to do Arsenal Man City, either wow. the FA Cup today uh, noon kickoff. Mm -hmm. It's on Sportsnet. Uh, and of course, the title chase. But that means that we can do it next time. Yes. Which is great. Okay. Exactly. Uh, we are up against it for time. Pete, thanks for doing this. Thanks for coming into studio. This was awesome. No problem. We'll do this again shortly. Uh, we are up against it for time, folks. Hour one in the books. Hour two coming up. We got a lot to get to. There's a lot of hockey talk on the horizon. We'll circle back on the Andre Kuzmenko signing. Uh, we will also preview the AFC and NFC Championship games this Sunday. Moj is going to join us. Aaron Portsline is going to join us for a preview of tonight's game. Canucks Blue Jackets, 7 o'clock from Rogers Arena. It is a well-rounded sports show today. You are listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.